one general movement, but it comprises a thousand different streams and eddies, and high water is not necessarily the same thing as high tide. The water will sometimes begin to fall before the tide is over. The average speed of the tide lies between one and three knots, but at times of very high flow it can reach seven knots. At London Bridge the flood tide runs for almost six hours, while the ebb tide endures for six hours and thirty minutes. The tides are much higher now than at other times in the history of the Thames. There can now be a difference of some twenty-four feet between high and low tides, although the average rise in the area of London Bridge is between fifteen and twenty-two feet. In the period of the Roman occupation it was a little over three feet. The high tide, in other words, has risen greatly over a period of two thousand years. The reason is simple. The southeast of England is sinking, slowly, into the water at the rate of approximately twelve inches per century. In 4000 BC, the land beside the Thames was 46 feet higher than it is now, and in 3000 BC, it was some 31 feet higher. When this is combined with the water issuing from the dissolution of the polar ice caps, the tides moving up the lower reaches of the Thames are increasing at a rate of two feet per century. That is why the recently erected Thames barrier will not provide protection enough and another barrier is being proposed. The tide, of course, changes in relation to the alignment of earth, moon, and sun. Every two weeks the high spring tides reach their maximum two days after a full moon, while the low neap tides occur at the time of the half-moon. The highest tides occur at the times of equinox. This is the period of maximum danger for those who live and work by the river. The spring tides of late autumn and early spring are also hazardous. It is no wonder that the earliest people by the Thames venerated and propitiated the river. The Thames has taken the same course for 10,000 years, after it had been nudged southward by the glaciation of the last ice age. The British and Roman earthworks by the Synodon Hills still border the river, as they did 2,000 years before. Given the destructive power of the moving waters, this is a remarkable fact. Its level has varied over the millennia, there is a sudden and unexpected rise at the time of the Anglo-Saxon settlement, for example, and the discovery of submerged forests testifies to incidents of overwhelming flood. Its appearance has, of course, also altered, having only recently taken the form of a relatively deep and narrow channel, but its persistence and identity through time are an aspect of its power. Yet, of course, every stretch has its own character and atmosphere and history. There is the overwhelming difference of water within it, varying from the pure fresh water of the source through the brackish zone of estuarial water to the salty water in proximity to the sea. Given the eddies of the current, in fact, there is rather more salt by the Essex shore than by the Kentish shore. There are manifest differences between the riverine landscapes of Lechlade and of Battersea, of Henley and of Gravesend. The upriver calm is in marked contrast to the turbulence of the long stretches known as River of London and then London River. After Newbridge, the river becomes wider and deeper, in anticipation of its change. The rural landscape itself changes from flat to wooded in rapid succession, and there is a great alteration in the nature of the river from the cultivated fields of Dorchester to the thick woods of Cliveden. From Godstow, the river becomes a place of recreation, breezy and jaunty with the skiffs and the punts, the sports in Port Meadow and the picnic parties on the banks by Binsey. But then, by some change of light, it becomes dark green, surrounded by vegetation like a jungle river, and then the traveller begins to see the dwellings of Oxford 
and the river changes again. Oxford is a pivotal point. From there you can look upward and consider the quiet source, or you can look downstream and contemplate the coming immensity of London. In the reaches before Lechlade, nothing comes close to the water, and it makes its way through isolated pastures. At Wapping and Rotherhithe, the dwellings seem to drop into it, as if overwhelmed by numbers. It is the river of dreams, but it is also the river of suicide. It has been called liquid history, because within itself it dissolves and carries all epochs and generations. They ebb and flow like water. The River as Metaphor The river runs through the language, and we speak of its influence in every conceivable context. It is employed to characterize life and death, time and destiny. It is used as a metaphor for continuity and dissolution, for intimacy.